Hey, balls of magic. Welcome back. My name is Alex. You are listening to How to Be Queer. My pronouns are they, them. That was out of order, but that's okay. Hi, Alex. Hi, my name's Kim. I'm Alex's wife and life partner. And my pronouns are she, her. And we got a guest here with us today. Hi, I'm Kim. My pronouns are she, her. I am friends with Kim and Alex. And y'all <laughs> might remember Kim from an earlier podcast with us. We decided to have her back because she's so amazing and wonderful. And she's going to talk about something very specific with us today. Thanks, Kim, for coming back. It must have been an okay experience the last time. It was. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, um, hey, a shout out to Youth Scene. Youth Scene, who sponsors our podcast. That's youthseen.org. Can you please go over there and give them some money? Because if you're listening to this podcast, the only reason you're able to listen to this podcast is because of the work that Youth Scene does. And boy, do they need support. Everybody needs support, but especially an organization that is, well, Alex, tell them again, what does Youth Scene do? We support the LGBTQ, QT BIPOC um, community, mental health, wellness, youth and their families. Drinking some water. <laughs> again, highly produced podcast. Kim, drink your water before. <laughs> God, how I wish it was alcohol right now, <laughs> but it's also 11 o'clock in the morning. I don't know. That might not feel good. Not for, not if I want to make it till five o'clock. Oh gosh. Yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Is it? No, I, I guess I do have like a job. Children <laughs> need to be productive. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> well, I guess, um, on today's episode, we're going to, we are going to talk about grief, um, and collective grief. Um, why, how grief is showing up for people. And then I think we want to talk a little bit about what healing spaces look like as well, because depending on your, where you sit in an identity wheel, healing spaces might look different. So we're going to talk a little bit about queer healing spaces, BIPOC only healing spaces. And Kim, you are here to share with us what some of your spaces have looked like. Yeah, absolutely. Which is awesome that you're willing to do this with us again. Alex, we must not have messed it up that bad the first time. <laughs> Listen, we're really well produced. <laughs> you guys ready? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You want me to talk about what? Yeah. So collective grief. Um, what comes to mind like for the both of you when I say like collective grief? Are you like, uh-huh? You mean like the world right now? <laughs> or like what comes to mind for you guys? Um, I mean, the first word that came up was messy but only because grief is so many emotions and comes in waves and that's how my brain works i grew up in that yeah. yeah what about you kim how do you feel when i say collective grief like connection that when getting through grief you need connection with other people and that collective grief feels like connecting to others that are grieving and um helpful and healing. Yeah. So connection. Yeah. I, uh, I think I was somewhere where, where you guys are, where I'm like collective, like something we're all experiencing together. And so then, and so I, I wanted to look it up and be like, well, this is not necessarily the world according to Kim, although sometimes I feel it should be, um, collective grief happens when a community society, village, or nation all experience extreme change or loss. Collective grief can manifest in the wake of major events such as war, national disasters, or others that result in mass casualty or widespread tragedy. 
Um, so like individual grief, there's a feeling of lack of control that comes with collective grief. We are unable to prevent the loss or change and we feel powerless in its wake. I'm going to take a breath because it's January. If you're listening to this and you keep up with us, it's January of, of 2022, <laughs> which we, we could keep laughing about that 2022. We are 22 months into a global pandemic. Um, that is not the only loss and tragedy that has been happening, but I'm really interested in normalizing what grief looks like and how I think during this time, like there's just, there's just a heaviness, um, this variant of Omicron, which is what you and I had over, over Christmas, um, there's, you know, you, you can look at cases and you can also look at hospitalizations. Both are up, even though people say, Hey, it's not that bad. It's like a cold. Everything's okay. I'm like, yeah, it's really not. All you have to do is talk to like one ER nurse and they'll tell you it, it's not okay. And it's not just COVID that's overrunning our hospital systems. Um, so when we talk about grief and, and why we might be experiencing it now, um, so people, you know, across we're experiencing it on many different scales. Um, there's the grief that comes with those that have died due to COVID. Um, there's, there's grief within the Bruce, the police brutality epidemic. There's grief over job loss, um, over just the instability of like knowing where your income is going to come from. And then there's the grief over like life milestones that we've lost. Um, you and I, we got so lucky that we were able to have our celebration. If we were, if we, if that date would have moved even a month or two, which we almost did, yeah. it would have been canceled. Yeah. Um, but so collectively people feeling like, well, I couldn't get, you know, I couldn't have my wedding celebration. I couldn't have my graduation. I couldn't have my prom. Um, and then you think like, you know, and then people that, you know, like I lost someone a year ago, we couldn't have a, we couldn't have a funeral. Um, so it's this unprecedented amount of collective grief, and it is it is experienced more in our marginalized communities of society because most grieving spaces are white grieving spaces, which I'm going to get to at the end. Um, so what helps? So I'm going to ask um, so before we get to the the collective healing process of grief, because listeners, this like I, this episode should come with a trigger warning. Like if you're deep in grief right now, for whatever it is, this might be a hard one to listen to, but. Yeah, set up what self-care is going to look for you. Um, if you do listen, um, go ahead and take a pause right now or just take care of yourself afterwards. Yeah. Um, Kim, how do you feel talking to us about grief? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. I have an intimate relationship with grief. Um, for listeners that maybe don't remember me from last time, I lost my daughter. Um, she died by suicide. And so over the last several years, I've developed a very intimate relationship with grief. So when take us a little bit through, cause you, we were, we were catching up and the word, when you hear me talk about like collective grieving and like people grow, grieving with like COVID, what was your initial right. thought with it? Right. Well, initially, um, and I'm just, I'm talking about like when people were referring to grief with COVID and just the basic, not, not losing someone. Um, 
but like, I, I don't was, get to go to my office anymore and I have right, to work from home and, grieving. Right. And <laughs> yeah. using the term grief, I was angry. It made me mad because my thought was like, this is not grief. You do not know grief. Um, and you can't go out to eat. Come on. <laughs> like I know grief, you don't know grief. Um, and so I was like sitting with that anger and why am I feeling this? And it took me some time, but I came to realize that what was happening collectively and as a nation, um, that people, everything was different in their life. For me, when I lost my daughter, her name's Ravina. When I lost Ravina, everything changed in my life. I changed. I was not the same person. My life was not the same. I didn't recognize anything. I didn't recognize myself. I didn't recognize my life. And it took me a while to realize what was happening um, in society was that people weren't recognizing their, their life. Mm. They had lost what was normal to them, their daily routine, and, and that not recognizing their life and what they had before was a form of grief. They were grieving the loss. So not the loss of like, Oh, I can't go out to eat, but the loss of what life was for them before. And so I opened up my heart a little, had some softening and some compassion to understand how grief can be different. Um, yeah. For other people and that it can encompass more, you know, it's, it's it, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Grief is a word that it gets thrown around a lot. Right. And it's personal. However, somebody's personally experiencing it. And it's true. Like I do grieve a little bit for what life was like pre pandemic, but I can't even imagine like for a person that has lost a child or a parent or a loved one to hear that same word, you have to be like, seriously, <laughs> get a new habit, <laughs> order your freaking sushi in like, <laughs> who cares about your gym class? Yeah. How, how long did it take you to kind of come to that realization? Cause I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. Right. It was a while. I was actually listening to a podcast by Brene Brown about grief and talking about grief. And that was when it kind of clicked for me. So I don't remember how long in, it was a while into the pandemic that it clicked for me that, um, that loss could be more than just surface, that it was that loss of recognition of who they were, of what life, of what life was. Yeah. And I think for me, realizing that grief wasn't just losing Ravina, but it was losing what was normal, what I knew there's kind of, I look at life before losing Ravina and after it's really like two lives mm -hmm. and, um, no, understanding that that was what grief was for a lot of people. Yeah. How do you, like, when you think about life now, have you like, what steps did you take or what groups are like, what was support? Cause I think one of the things like we talk about this a lot in our podcast is like the, the inability to know what to say, mm. right. When, when someone is, is grieving, like, were there things that people around you did that were helpful or not helpful? What resources did you find that you were like, okay, this actually helps me work through this. Or were there things that you tried? You were like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think mostly people 
wanting to talk to me, giving me space to talk about Ravina, um, and not, I, I felt like I would make people uncomfortable and definitely there were people that were uncomfortable. You'd be in the grocery store and I'd see someone spot me and like that panic on their face and kind of like turn and go the other way, that panic of not knowing how to talk to me. So I think those friends that allowed me to talk about Ravina and, um, and that was super helpful. I read a lot meditating. I meditated a lot. Qigong. <laughs> Some... Okay. Oh, tell our listeners Qigong. what you guys are talking about. I don't know enough to, it's a, well, it's a, I guess it's a martial art. Um, it's sort of like Tai Chi, but it's wor- it's working with, with Chi, with the energy in the body. Tai Chi is, I, and I don't, I'll probably get this wrong, but my limited knowledge, it's like working with the energy. Qigong is creating the energy. So it's a lot of like kind of real deliberate movements and breathing and moving your, moving the chi in your body and creating the energy in the chi. I guess. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Yeah. When I, because I had zero energy, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't get off the couch and I went to acupuncture and she told me, she was like, Whoa, your chi, you have none. Like, it's not about working with chi. You need to get some chi. Okay. So she recommended. You had no chi to even work with. Right. Right. (laughs) I was depleted. (laughs) And um, that was pretty life-changing for me, the qigong. I feel different when I do it. That's so fascinating. And Mm -hmm. and it it came to you through acupuncture. Right. Huh. So I'm going to ask you to go back for a minute because I think this is when you talk about the person in the grocery store that sees you and turns the other way, like. I've been that person in a grocery store, right? Where I'm like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to show up for this person. So I'm just going to like, and there's obviously times where that might be protecting your own mental health, where you're like, I don't have it today to show up for someone. Right. But part of like what I'm interested in, in is that when I've been that person that I've turned away, usually it has to do with my own fragility in some way. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to show up for someone. So then I don't because I'm worried I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm going to fuck it up. What do you do? And so it's good for me to know, like, okay, so the way to show up would just be like, tell me how you are and tell me where your life is and just be willing to hear and accept everything that you're saying. But there's also this part around normalizing grief. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we so scared to acknowledge grief? Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like why people might be so scared to acknowledge it? because it's painful. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I thought about it. Um, when your mind goes, you know, with Ravina, I lost her to suicide. We knew that she was struggling. And even before she died, my brain would start to kind of go there to think about like, what if, and your brain shuts down, like it doesn't let you get to that most horrific thing that you can't even imagine. And I think people tend to do that, like grief, it's scary, it's hard. And so I think people prefer to, they just kind of want to shut it down and don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Did you experience this at all this summer with, cause you lost your father. You know, it's funny. We were sitting over our, um, our puzzle last night and we were talking about grieving a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I remember like sometimes my brain will play out um, certain specific uh, moments and, and, and scenarios and things. And um, But I remember like judging my own process and the time frame, and then coming to more recently um, a couple of things that grief, the process of grieving never really ends, mm-hmm. which is scary in, 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 in and of itself. And then feeling like I couldn't um, get in any air or like expand myself for the week after he died. And then like last night we were um, doing the puzzle and I was telling the stories about. Can you tell the, tell the story of the mat, just to share that with your, the, uh, our listeners a little bit. So my dad is, um, he uh, was from Virginia and he had a, a cabin that he built and he had a doormat that said at the, at the front door, it said, um, well, butter my butt and call me a biscuit. Look who's here. I just love that. And, <laughs> and he had it on the wall mm-hmm. as like a piece of art. I love that. I, I love this. Which makes it even better. Well, and butter my button. Call me biscuit. Look who's here. Yeah. And there's, um, and then on the mat was like the picture of a biscuit with butter like dripping all over it. And I was like, oh gosh, this is so, um, so of course, when you lose someone, you know, I think it's in the past, there's so a couple of things like just where you, you, pro- you have things that come up in the waves and you like, you're remembering things and things about my childhood and, and, um, and then over the puzzle last night being like, have I really even processed his death? Mm-hmm. You know, I had like a, like a couple weeks and then, you know, I came back from the, from the funeral and I was use and then life just goes on and it's just kind of strange yeah and and knowing but knowing enough having enough awareness like this is still living in my body somewhere Mm -hmm. and wondering when it's going to come up and also being like all right just be aware that this never ends oh gosh and that's a you need to like take a break because i i too am recognizing that during this 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 period of what has been collective grieving since March of, of 2020, um, the individual loss and then the collective loss, the individual loss, I lost somebody to COVID and it's a coming up on a year anniversary on January 19th. And so our way of like, at least my family's way of working through that grief is my mom's coming over tomorrow and we're making the signature meal that this, this human always made. And we'll have like a moment of reflection of them still with us. That feels like a healing. And I think what we're trying to do is normalize that we're all, we're all grieving. So it's like what you were saying, Kim, like nobody wants to talk about this because it's painful and it's scary and nobody knows what to say. Right. I'm like, well, can we just talk about the fact that she's been gone a year and can we just miss her together? And Mm -hmm. just, and it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. I'm going to look at this dish and I'm going to eat it. And it's going to remind me of being in her house and she's not here. And nothing can take that. Nothing can make that better. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're looking at me and kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> this is your life, Kim. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. Bringing it into those spaces, um, you know, Corey, my husband, Maddie, my youngest, 
we're, we're always talking about Ravina. She's always with us. We're talking about our grief, talking about our loss. Um, but you kind of step outside of the three of us. And when we would get together for holidays with my mom and dad and my brother and, and people that are safe and loving and loved her, um, we, I realized after Thanksgiving, I was like, we didn't, I don't feel like we celebrated Ravina or we remembered her. So I wanted to make sure we, we did it at Christmas in a very like thoughtful way. So I, um, I got ornaments for everybody, uh, for my mom and my dad and my brother, my sister-in-law that, um, had something to do with their connection with Ravina. They were all very personal and gave them. And we all had this moment. It was quiet. Everybody opened the gifts. There were tears. They processed it on everybody kind of processed it quietly tears. We hugged, but it was that moment that I kind of had to force the grief into the room Mm. with all of us. I needed it. And you have to, you have to make that space. So do you feel that that space that you created when you're like, I had to force the grief in, did Mm -hmm. that promote any type of healing you think? Yes. Okay. Can you tell me more about that? Hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think how much I want to share. Right. I'm kind of, I kind of sprung out. You don't have to, I can completely go in another direction on our highly produced podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No, it opened up conversations. Um, it opened up a conversation with my brother Mm. that, that we hadn't really had. And, um, there was some healing there and, uh, a connection that, um, that we hadn't had, we'd sort of been dancing around it. And, um, it was really healing. And my sister-in-law actually came up and hugged me and thanked me for the ornament and, and invited this, the start of a conversation that we had that was very healing. And, um, it was just the start because it was at Christmas and we were getting ready to go have pie. Well, who doesn't love pie? I mean, <laughs> but that sort of, um, I know why Rosie, I know Rosie <laughs> Kim's okay, but we, that, have a, we have an energetic healing dog, Rosie, the dog. Is. And Look so whenever her. it's amazing, but whenever anyone expresses like deep emotion, she'll come and, and, um, put her paws up on your lap and look at you and be like, I'm here reporting for duty. She's so sweet. She's the opposite of captain underbite. (laughs) Just saying. Okay. (laughs) But yes. Yeah. So that kind of that forcing us to all experience that moment that you don't, it's hard and it's Christmas and, um, nobody wants to cry and be experiencing that in the middle of opening Christmas presents and waiting for pie. Right. So Alex, like, I think what I'm listening to Kim, like, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, like you were saying, like, you know, am I even really grieving my father and part of like, you know, and we're going to, I'm going to move this forward and I'm going to take the heat off you a little bit, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but in normalizing grief and understanding that there's, you know, when we, when we're collectively feeling something and then we acknowledge it and hold space for each other, that it becomes healing. Part of what I wonder with your father is that you live far away from anyone else that knew him, that your community here 
um, most of us never met your father. We only know your father through the stories that you hold. And so while we, we, you know, like you were saying, like we had two friends over last night to do puzzles with us because that's how cool we are. (laughs) I mean, jealousy people, We, we have a giant puzzle board that we do puzzles, but we were talking about your dad and, you know, encouraging you to talk about him. And I wonder for you, like, is part of the process because there's no one else here that lives in a house with you, um, or even close by that knew your dad. Yeah. I mean, I'm like pushing my fingers into the table really hard. Cause I'm like, okay. Um, yes. I, I remember that, that natural loneliness of like, I can call my sister. I could call my mom. Like I, I talked to, talk to Connie, who's my, who's my dad's wife. Um, but it's, they're really, you know, f- like far away. And then, um, so keeping the stories alive and wanting to share with my kids and, and everyone here, like, you know, my family that's far away. So that's important to me, but I, so kind of, sorry, I'm connected to what you're saying. So I also, I, even though I said, am I even, even processing it in saying that I know that I am because what's what, what I've also gained is perspective on his humanness. And so I know that like, you know, maybe it's just because of where I am in my life. Like I'm, I'm midlife and I'm able to see, yes, I'm his child, but, and he's my, he's my parent, but also, you know, I'm an adult, he's an adult. And so kind of looking back on, um, on things and like, you know, I think right when, for me, right when he died, I was like, I want to remember all of the amazing things about him and, and honor him in that way. And then like, you get further and further away and you're like, yeah, my dad was like, but all of us are like, again, I guess, I, I guess the best word I have right now is, is, is his, his humanness and mm-hmm. how he influenced who I am and also my patterns and my behavior and, and just, and just who I am and just kind of like having, you know, oh, you know, as a parent, like maybe I wouldn't do that. It like, just, just kind of, you're just like trying to process where you were and now this person is gone and you can't have conversations anymore. And he wasn't the same person at the, towards the end of his life that he was when I was even in my, in my twenties, which so yeah. Um, just by saying, I'm not processing it. I, I know that I am, I'm not, um, I'm gaining perspective, which is processing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then letting that stuff come up where I'm like, I'm really angry that that happened mm-hmm. or like, oh, I know what his intention was in that situation, even though I used to look at it this way. And so that's all flowers in the paint. You know, it's interesting when you were saying like the, the anger aspect and Kim, I'm going to ask you to talk about anger for in a minute too, because it's amazing to me. And like, we talk about this a lot on our podcast, right? Our podcast being how to be queer, which is essentially like you could take the word queer out and put in whatever it is that you need to put in. It's how do you just be in a world sometimes that is really determined to box you into behavior in a certain way. So like here, we're talking about grief. Nobody wants to talk about grief because it's hard and it's scary and we don't know how to talk about it. So how do you normalize talking about grief? The other word that you just mentioned that I'm like, that's a trigger one for me is anger because depending on who you are, 
anger is either something you can express or you can't. Right. So like, I'm hoping that most people are learning at this point, especially around like anti-racism work around homophobia, transphobia, all of this, that there's a lot of identities that are not allowed to express anger. And even when you're not expressing anger, anger gets attached to you when you're just talking. Most people are going to recognize this as like, we tend to think of like an angry black woman and a black woman is like, actually, I was just talking. So we need to talk about why, how anger shows up. I know for me, I feel like I can't a lot of times, um, at least previously, when I was pretending to be a lot of different things, I couldn't express anger because it made people so uncomfortable and they would inevitably draw these horrible biases against me when I did over-emotional, um, can't remain calm, isn't level-headed, all this stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm just fucking feeling like I'm just fucking angry. And so when I think about, you know, and so I'll have each of us kind of talk about anger because, um, for me, I'm angry. And I was just expressing this. I'm angry when I see people not wearing a mask, it makes me angry. Because to me, it's like, you might as well be wearing a t-shirt that says, I only fucking care about myself. I don't care about anybody else. And my rights to my body and not wearing a mask are the most important thing. And it's so goddamn selfish. And I don't care. Write me your letters and come at me. I will happily answer them. (laughs) That's where I am. I'm angry and I want to be able to express it. So what, and I know Kim, you've like anger with you and grief is like a whole, like you were expressing it. Like, I'm gonna let you dive right in. Like how did anger show up for you? Well, it didn't show up for you. Right. Right. Um, it's interesting because you know, that anger, they talk about the stages of grief and anger is one of them. And, um, I had it a little bit, but my anger would be directed towards like time, time passing and mad that that I didn't have her and that time life was going on without her. So like my anger would come at time would show itself that way. Um, both Corey and Maddie are, were good with their anger and acknowledging it and expressing it. And, um, it just was harder for me. It's not a comfortable emotion. And recently I've been going and digitizing all of our old family photos. Um, and, I, for the first time I felt real anger and it was directed towards Ravina. Yeah. And that was really hard. Um, I think it's a natural thing when you lose someone to suicide, that there's going to be anger. And my anger has never been directed towards her. And I came across this sweet, sweet little picture where she's like four years old and she's standing on a step stool and she's smiling her cute little smile and waving at the camera. And my heart just broke missing her. Yeah. And, um, for the first time I felt mad that Ravina took that sweet little life and it was hard. I was like, I don't know how to deal with this emotion. Um, it's not a comfortable emotion for me, anger. Yeah. But I, I just want to commend you. Cause I know this is hard. I can, I mean, I'm sitting next to you. I can see your, your eyes. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's someone out there listening that hears you say that, and you've just normalized a feeling for them. Yeah. So there's connection, 
those were some of your words in the beginning when we talked about grieving. So as hard as it is to talk about part of why we ask people to do this podcast and that you've so graciously done with us twice now, I think there's healing and hearing and understanding other people's pain. Absolutely. I'm happy to share it. Well, thank you. And that's connection too, having that ability to share those feelings and, um, and be open and share, have others know and seem be seen to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of what our podcast is. It it reminds me, I'm going to take a page from, um, Glenn Doyle in, I think in Untamed maybe, um, talks about anger and the way she worded it was just really helpful for me. And I got angry (laughs) (laughs) at the, but because, but because it made sense where it's like, you know, your anger is a a gift. I'm like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) (laughs) You gotta explain that one to me. My anger is a gift. Yes. Cause it means what I'm feeling. Is that it? Yeah. And for me, like, conditioned and raised female i think we get so many messages like don't be angry yeah don't be angry don't express it and i just remember as a kid like really just exploding and um and and being in my room and just like exploding and then so like over time you get older and you're like right I can't do that anymore. So you stuff it down and you have your own ways of stuffing it down and stuff it down, stuff it down. And then you get angry and you can't get angry. Hmm. And, and, you're, and, and so then you have to basically take the angry with the angry suitcase and drag it out of the angry closet and be like, I don't want to fucking open you because what's going to, I'm going to fall apart. And then, and then somehow, some way, because you, you, you do have enough knowingness that you want to get like just that, that little spark of you, like you want to get through something. And so it's enough to like, keep pushing you through because yeah. fuel pushes you through X, you know, something. And so I think in Glenn, you know, her just saying basically like it's a gift. It's, it's, it can be, it can be fuel to keep living. You know, I think about like, yeah, I, I understand. Like if I, I think I, I was socialized to shove my anger down. I was, I was socialized to shove the person that I am down because the person that I am makes people really uncomfortable. That's just who I am. It's that's the queerness. That's um, my personality. Like if the, the, I I can make people and and I'm going to say this about you too, Alex, like we can make people uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, I don't like to shy away from talking about certain things. I don't like to shy. Away, and, and, but I was socialized to do that. And so I think part of like being, being queer or being authentic to who you are is that you, you do learn that, like you're saying that being able to acknowledge I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm joyful, I'm whatever, Mm -hmm. that I'm going to be that regardless of what the world is going to reflect back to me. I'm just going to be, and whatever that is, somebody else is going to have to deal with it because the shoving down and numbing of myself did not serve me well. Yeah. And for me, it made me into a people pleaser, Mm -hmm. codependent, behavior that can actually causes harm in a way because you become blind to people around you and so you're just trying to make everything okay and so then like then you see that and and it's like why and you want to say why didn't anybody tell me 
why didn't anybody tell me this is where we were? And then so it's like, so eventually, you know, you just keep chugging down anger river. I guess I want to talk a little bit too about, because one of the things that, you know, we're kind of touching on is that, you know, for, so, so the the collective grieving that, that right now is happening in our world is very, very real. Um, and you know, like you were saying, Kim, in the beginning, like it's that, that loss of what we've expected or what we do or our routine. And then there's the layer of like, people that have actually lost human beings. Um, But I want to acknowledge that depending on how you identify healing spaces can look really different. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end, but before I get to that, Kim, I know that you have a space. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about it? And then I have a couple of questions around it, but can you tell everybody what the space was like? Yes. It's amazing. It's a group. It's um, like a soul tending circle is what it's called. And we've only met a few times, but it's um, a group of people that have come together that we're all willing to share and be authentic and listen and be honest. And so we've only met a couple of times, but it's been amazing. Um, Last night, one of the exercises that we did, we paired off and it was to get right to it and to talk about what what's something you're experiencing this week, what, what's going on with you. And then the other person kind of reflect that back. And after we all did this exercise and came back, we talked about, oh my goodness, we didn't start with 10 minutes of like, so how many, do you have kids? Where do you, you know, where are you from? What do you do for work? We started with, oh my gosh, this week has been really hard. I've been sorting through these pictures. It's brought up all these emotions and you just went right in, right into it. And that relief of being able to get right into it and having it reflected back at you. And then being that for someone else, um, just an amazing space. So was there anything, so, um, was there anything that maybe one person did in particular that in there with you that you were like, oh yeah, I'm vibing with this person? Or was there anything anybody in particular did? They just, or did they just listen? Um, just listening, inviting me, inviting me to um, be real mm-hmm. and to say the things and to not, um, to, to not work, through, to not think too much about what I was saying. There was one exercise where uh, it was, how do you want to be seen? What do you long for? And this other woman said, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't, what's the first thing that popped into your mind? And I was like, a mom. Mm. And I was like, I don't understand why. And then we, we went into that and being seen as a mom and maybe that loss of Ravina. And then I'm still seen as a mom, even though I have, obviously I have Maddie, but I'm still seen as a mom to Ravina. And mm-hmm. so that her allowing me to just say it and her drawing it out of me. Yeah. I mean, such a great example of allyship, Mm. what you just said, just Mm -hmm. allowing you to say what you wanted to say and to be without her putting any of her biases, judgments, thoughts, feelings onto it without overthinking it, without Mm -hmm. overthinking it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to, um, this is something that, um, is important to, you know, because one of the things Alex, we talk about on our podcast all the time is 
we get a lot of people that write to us about how to be allies <laughs> they, and they're like, oh, I love the way that you guys just talk about it. And you say the things that you want to say and do the things that you want to do. But before I get there, is there anything you want to say before we switch over to like why we need to create certain spaces like Kim experienced? Is there anything else you wanted to say or am I like we're rolling? Oh no, we can roll. I was looking at um the notes. <laughs> oh, am I am I on track? Am I not on track? Oh, there's no track. <laughs> I'm just gonna say. <laughs> we're, we're just, we're just rolling. But no, I don't have anything else. I'm excited to get to yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you know for for allies that I think is really important to understand is that, and I talk a lot about anti-racism work. And so anti-racism, like your first step in this, right, is that you learn that you carry biases, you carry perceptions, um, and they actually have, they in, they influence our interactions with other members of other communities. So whether it's a queer community, it's a BIPOC community, like part of which is like learning about being anti-racist is to learn that you have these biases and perceptions and you're putting them out there a lot of times without knowing that you are. So, and a lot of times that's going to come over as like microaggression um, sometimes micro inequalities, which we can talk about on in another podcast. So while we're all kind of going through this collective grief right now, whether it's that, you know, you've lost somebody personally, it's the loss of like the world around you. Like there's a collective grief in the world. And as we're learning, like, and listening to Kim and understanding like what that space was like for her to start healing, you know, talking a little bit about like, well, there's been a lack of space for you to like grieve for your father. Um, if you are a person that is coming from a QT BIPOC identity. And QT BIPOC, queer, trans, black, indigenous uh, people of color. Thank you. Um, having spaces that are exclusively dedicated to parts of your identity is vital to healing. And so it's important to understand why. <laughs> and so I get, um, this is, this is, you know, kind of like when sometimes when people listen to us, they'll, they'll pick us up for training purposes and they'll call us and be like, Kim and Alex, will you come do some training around QT BIPOC for our organization? And I'm going to, and this is one that they, I tend to get a lot of pushback on because, and I think it's because people don't understand it. So when we're talking about dedicated spaces for a BIPOC community, it is to heal in safety without the threat of adding more racial trauma in white centered spaces. Feel free to come at me folks, but most spaces they're white centered. Yeah. So now you are asking a person who's already potentially experiencing harm in heteronormative straight white spaces to do this healing where they could be experiencing trauma while they're trying to heal. So it doesn't work. So it's, I'm sorry, I should say it's not impossible, but it's difficult and it's adding more, um, more of a taxing experience to a person that might already be struggling in some way. So that's why we need, that's why if you are working at an organization or you're like, well, gosh, how do we start to, to heal? Think about the importance of making spaces that allow a person's full identity to come through without risk of experiencing microaggression within that healing. So here's my question. If you're listening to this and you're like, why do we need BIPOC only spaces? Why do we need queer only spaces? If you feel anger or resentment at that, I'm going to ask you to do some self-reflection. Why is that making you angry? 
because you just ask yourself the question, why am I angry? Own and acknowledge your anger and resentment. Number one, think about why what's coming up. Um, and then ask the question because this collective healing that is going to need to happen for all of us, we have to start asking the question of what do healing spaces look like? And I just, I can, I love the way that you explain that experience with that woman. Mm -hmm. She just allowed you to feel what you were feeling. Right. Yeah. We talked about that. We felt, or I felt when we discussed it as a group, I felt held, you Mm -hmm. know, I felt held by the group, by these other, by my partner in the group, by the group as a whole. That's important. It certainly is. And so I think we'll probably take a, a pause here in a minute because I think we have some food coming. Yeah. We do. We get some food coming. Yay for food. <laughs> but please, um, folks, think about what we're we're talking about is how can you how can you support spaces for collective healing? How can you acknowledge that spaces do not look the same for everyone? Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why, like in schools, like it's 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 heteronormative cisgender assumed spaces. And so that's like, you know, why your schools need GSAs and trans kids groups and queer like because those kids need healing because the rest of their fucking day is is not that so like that's my little soapbox but and again if if you're listening to this and you feel resentment at that of like well why do these spaces need to exist for these for folks for folks that are you know however they identify within the identity wheel that is an opportunity for you to self-respect why self-reflect why that's making you angry. Um, the, the world is, is white dominated heteronormative. And if you are living in a space that is not that you need healing spaces that are just allowing you to have your entire experience come through where you're not worried about how the other people in the room are going to hear it. And, you know, this is, this to me is not up for debate, but white folks, we bring a lot of shit into spaces that we should not, or that we need to be aware that our normalization of things is not the normal for everyone else. So yeah, we do need separate spaces and there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that. So I think, um, can we take a pause and then Alex, I think we were going to come back and I think we have a, a brief discussion today too about boundary setting. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Kim, do you want to stay for boundary setting? Yeah. Yeah, you do. All right, everyone <laughs> give us a couple minutes. Well, you, you aren't going to know if it's 10 minutes or it's like 10 days, but 10 days it passes. That's the beauty of a podcast and not live radio. Okay. Thanks all. I'm ready. Kim, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. We've been recording for five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> balls of magic. Welcome back. <laughs> we are the most highly produced podcast ever, which apparently is what people like about us. So there you go. We're back. We're back. So we're going to talk about um, some a scene in in and just like that, and just like in and just like that, and just like that. We're going to lighten it up a little bit here. Yeah. Now that we've all collectively gone through our grief together, let's talk about something else. But connected to what we were talking about. So um, if y'all haven't caught up on and just like that, the extension of the, the sex in, in the city and the city. Okay. Mandela effect, look it up. Yeah. Um, 
so stop listening because there could be some spoilers. But so, well, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago. Anyway, with Charlotte and Miranda, there's a scene where should I just like jump right in? Yeah, let's let's describe for people the scene. Yeah. So the week before recap, Miranda has sex with Che. Yeah, they did. Kitchen. So then the following week, um, Miranda and Carrie and Charlotte sit down at a picnic table and Miranda tells Charlotte, I'm going to tell you something that I'm going through. And that happened. And also tells her what? Do not have. Do not, in prefaces that like, don't have a big reaction because I just need you to hear me. And so Miranda tells Charlotte and Charlotte had a very accurate reality, big reaction. Should we do like a little, let's like do a little role play here, Alex. Okay. okay. So <clears throat> do you want to be Miranda or do you want to be Charlotte? I'll be Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You go first. Okay. Um, Charlotte, I, um, I'm drinking way too much. I, yeah, yeah, I've been commenting on that passive aggressively for weeks, but yes. <laughs> um, I don't know what I'm doing with my life right now. I don't know who I am. I had sex with Carrie's boss in her kitchen and it was with Shay, Shay, who is non-binary. Miranda, how could you do this to me? I don't understand. I thought that I knew you. You've been married to a man. What are you attracted to all women now? Are you a lesbian? What does this even mean? I don't understand it. Help me, help me, help me. That's my interpretation of Charlotte. Okay, that was really fun. <laughs> I mean, I may be drawing from personal experience here. I don't know. <laughs> and Miranda's like, fuck this shit. I'm going to leave the table. Well, Charlotte continues to say, but I just don't understand, but I need you to explain this to me. But I, but I, but I, but I, and I'll be Carrie. No, Miranda, you have to come back because I need you to dude. She <laughs> threw some guilt and shade in there. <laughs> Hold on. We had a little puppy malfunction. Okay. I've lost so much already. You need to feel guilty about this. Come back. Yeah, there's, 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 there's a lot going on in the scene. So first I just want to say how much, and, and Alex, I've joked with you about this and Kim, you just, you just heard me say this, but we did break for lunch. It was lovely. It was. It was delicious. Okay. So in our, in our lunch break, and I was, I was saying, you know, I honestly, th there's a lot of things wrong with this show. Like, let's just like own up to it right now. Like they, they actually have something where they have like a woke button. Like I get it. Sex in the city and the city, whatever it is. They did a horrible job of, of displaying anything outside of a white rich lady, you know, experience in New York city, which I lived in New York city. That is not fucking New York city. They did a horrible job with it. And now in coming back to it, it's like, how many characters can we shove in with tokenization? It's not great. But at the same time, I am going to say that the, the way that this is, this whole thing is being written with, with Miranda and Che, I have told you, Alex, I'm like, it is like somebody slipped into my, 
brain and is like, let's write out all of Kim's experiences and then put it on a screen and make her watch it back. <laughs> because of the scene with, with, and, and you too, because the scene at the picnic table, which we're depicting for people, you and I watched it together and we were recoiling <laughs> into our sofa. No, I kept waiting for, it was like Charlotte had slammed on the gas pedal and I'm like, let up, let up. Can you let up? Oh, you're not going to let up. And I'm so uncomfortable. Well, because weren't you like, I was sitting there and I'm like, I'm reliving parts of our life yeah. where people, when you, you have the courage to tell them who you are and then they don't understand it because you don't understand it yet yourself. Yeah. And you're trying to make sense of it. And they just rapid fire questions at you and you end up in a position where you're feeling like you have to explain your life. Yeah. And then Miranda did the thing that you and I did not do, which was also <laughs> add another layer of discomfort for me, which was she got up and walked away from the table. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, how many times did I let did I keep myself in situations where I'm like, right, I'm going to keep explaining myself because maybe you'll be nice, nicer. And, and, but it just reflected on my own self-worth at the time. Yeah. There, there's that word, right. That yeah. the self, the self-worth that Miranda was able to display in that moment, because while she's being, you know, machine gun Kelly rapid fire by Charlotte, um, with her creepy, you know, what we were laughing about her Charlotte's doll collection, <laughs> like all these things about <laughs> Charlotte that I'm like, Miss Park <clears throat> Avenue princess is rapid firing her machine gun Kelly style at Miranda. Miranda has the self-worth to stand up and be like, yeah, no, I don't have answers for myself. I certainly don't have answers for you. Yeah. So can you just back off and then Carrie again, mm -hmm. can you do your Carrie impersonation for us again? <laughs> you need to come back because I need you to. <laughs> <laughs> Not because I'm noticing that neither of my friends are doing well right now. It's about me. <laughs> she's the worst. I have to say, I appreciate, um, how the characters aren't perfect. No, they not. get it wrong, but it's real. Like the yeah. mistakes they make, they reflect what life really is. You know? So, so in that vein, like, so for sure, for Charlotte, who we now know on the show is, is going to be mom to a gender expansive. I'm not exactly sure if they've told us how rock identifies yet. But she, they, them, don't they, them, mm -hmm. yeah. or they're using non-binary for rock or not specific. I haven't heard that specific word yet for rock, but I think we're going to, that the identity could be unfolded over that, which is, which is real, real. which is very real. Um, but you know, you're, you are the mom of, uh, of Ravina who is transgender. And so do right. you feel like when you're watching that and you're watching Charlotte go through this, are you like, damn, she's fucking it up? Or are you like, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. I, I appreciate her experience because she loves rock. She's like loving and wants to be accepting, but it's hard and she doesn't know what she's doing and she's stumbling and she's not always saying the right thing. There's the scene where she and Harry go and talk to the teacher and he's oh. like, oh, I that was really hard to have the teacher tell us who our kid about our kid, our kid. And, and so I, I appreciate the realness in it that, you know, I appreciate that she's not saying, oh no, you're not, you're a girl, you know, and, and putting that on her that she's trying, but she's not getting it exactly right. 
I mean, how did that, does that sit like, oh, well, she's trying, I mean, did you go through that too, though? Did you feel like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try, or were you like, well, can you please give the description that your daughter Maddie gives about you? (laughs) I am aggressively supportive. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Yeah. There might be the right after Ravina came out, um, we spent the weekend together and I was like, let's go shopping. And over that weekend, we went shopping. I did her eyebrows. I did makeup. We like, it got to the point where she was like, uh, I need a break mom. <laughs> she, she talked to Maddie like later. Cause Maddie was living in New York and Maddie was like, so how did it go with mom? And Ravina's comment was, well, mom's a lot. <laughs> aggressively supportive. <laughs> I am aggressively supportive. I just want to show up. <laughs> oh my God. It's a really great description. Cause I think like every time I see you, you also I, have some ally shirt on. You've got pins, pins on, on today. Pins and an ally shirt on. And I didn't even know I was coming here. <laughs> aggressively supportive. So you do, when you watch the show though, like you see Charlotte kind of bumbling around and you're like, yeah, I kind of get it. Yeah. I appreciate her experience. Yeah. And that they're not making her to be this perfect. I know how to do everything. Yeah. I mean, that, that, the the thing is, is, is as painful as that um, part was to watch them at the, at the picnic table. At the same time, I was like, this is just so real. (laughs) And then I get really angry because people that don't have that lived experience are all commenting on social media, like how this show is horrible. And I'm like, no, that's just really how uncomfortable people are when they don't know how to receive you. Like it's actually super accurate. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know if they, And like like the writers in the show when they they had Carrie go pull Miranda back and I'm like y'all just missed an entire like all so many nuances of what queer people deal with mm. like, it, like the scene made you really angry it, it, yeah and I'm like I was and then and then I got um, uncomfortable and I understood I had, I had empathy and compassion. And also discomfort that Miranda was like, okay, I'll come back. Because then I was like, no, you can walk away. You can say to both of them, no, I'm done for today. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, and that she still would have held her boundary, still would have taken care of herself in that moment by leaving. Mm-hmm. Because what she basically had just gone through is like a verbal assault. Mm-hmm. And that's traumatic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then to have Carrie come back and like, let's have the white cisgender straight lady, like pull us all together again. Like, fuck that. Well, cause I think there's a difference in this comes down to self-worth, which is what you and I were talking about, which is listen, people don't know how to listen. They do not. We, when we listen and I'm including myself in this because every single one of us is guilty. Don't think you're going to get a pass when we're faced with like shocking news from someone. Right. Or, and like, this goes back to what we were talking about before Kim too, like what people want to ask you or where they don't want to ask you, they, we, we are so focused on what our response is going to be in listening versus 
just listening. Right. And it's a skill to learn how to do that, to say, I can actually sit in silence and not do anything other than receive information. I don't have to respond. So when we see Charlotte doing that, that's all about Charlotte, which Kim, you had said too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That she had to own that was her experience. Like that was how she was processing the information. And it was hers, not Miranda, but she was putting it on Miranda. Well, in the, in that moment too, Miranda legit didn't know how to answer any of those questions. Miranda's like, I don't know if I'm gay. I just know that I had, and, and she says this the most, she's never, that she'd before. never, oh, that lights up every cell in my body. Yeah. And she can't explain it. Yeah. It's just, it just is. It just is. So, and this kind of gets us into, we were, we were having a little giggly moment over our lunch about attraction mm-hmm. and how the differences in the way <laughs> when we talk about like queer attraction and there's this assumption that when you're queer, you're attracted to everyone that is of a certain, so like, as you know, identify as a lesbian, I don't find all women attractive, but we don't really talk about that in queer culture. Like, that's just this like assumption that we put onto queer people that, oh, you're gay. You must be attracted to everyone of, of this gender. And I'm like, and I looked at Kim and I'm like, the Kim does not have this assumption by the way, but I jokingly looked at Kim and I was like, are you attracted to all dudes? Cause you're straight. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And then I asked Alex, Alex, are you attracted to all women? Nope. But like Miranda. I think I am most attracted to transmasculine assigned female at birth is probably how I would describe it. Now, let me tell you, when I was 20, I didn't have that language (laughs) to understand like, oh, like the Abby Wambach, like I just knew that I like loved Abby Wambach. I was like, she was everything. I was like, she's so this, she said that. And I'm like, she, and although you have your own feelings about Abby Wambach, I know you were just talking about it. Well, and I was just, I, I was just actually thinking about, um, the, um, as, as the gateway gay, you are the gateway as gay. You, as you call me. I love you. <laughs> How many women have gotten basically mad at me? And I didn't realize that, that that's what, what, what was happening because I was not res- giving them giving them the giving energy oh like you weren't they expected you just to be attracted to them yeah like you're you're this mask you know well i am who i am i'm like i'm thinking you know i didn't know what was happening but i'm like oh my god you you totally got mad at me because i I wasn't attracted to you like that's fucked up (laughs) (laughs) deeply (laughs) uncomfortable that's what happened that that, that happened to me a lot okay so we're just going to call this person i don't know amber but (laughs) it goes to and we've talked about this on this podcast before that when amber came to a gay bar with us amber was upset because nobody hit on her and i was like well maybe it has something to do with like nobody finds you attractive (laughs) It could be that, like, why is there this assumption that you as a straight person are going to go into a gay bar and everyone's going to hit on you? Attraction doesn't work like that. You're lucky in life. If you find like maybe a handful of people that like the attraction all matches up, like it is rare to find that. So just because you identify as, you know, queer and not in the heteronormative attraction doesn't work any different. 
right? Like you're still not, you're attracted to who you're attracted to, but I noticed that like you are such a creeper. <laughs> I'm sure our guest here is super comfortable with you right now. You are I'm just keeping my eyes on directed towards Kim. <laughs> All right, creepy pants. What do you got to add over there? <laughs> I love you, sweetie. All right. Anything else you do want to add before we wrap up this, this episode? You got any more anger you want to shout at Charlotte <laughs> or Carrie? No, I mean, even with all that said, like, I, I have a ton of, I can also hold a lot of compassion and empathy for for Charlotte because, you know, I get it. Yeah, I do too. And and truthfully, there's people, I have some Charlottes in my life that did exactly what Charlotte did to Miranda. And, you know, we've healed from it. Yeah, I have to say in, in the moment, it wasn't particularly fun for me, but you know, sometimes you, you do get those questions from a really well-meaning friend and they're like, but I don't understand, but I don't understand. And, you know, look, if allies, if you find yourself in that position, maybe take a pause, let the other person take a pause and then come back and be like, I just want to, I just want to know. And you just want to know not, you don't have to respond. Yeah. Well, and this connects to this phrase that actually my kids as therapists uh, have, have told me about uh, rupture and repair. And that, you know, when stuff happens in life, that's a, that's a rupture. And then that the repair is also, you know, you can't repair from one side it's, it's collective, mm -hmm. it's collective repairing, it's collective healing where all the sides, um, have to come together and, and, and do the work too. So I, I hope that in the show, you know, they're going to cir circle back around. There's that phrase too. They're going to circle back around to, to that healing aspect of what happened earlier. I hope so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. what you got for us, Kim, before we end this episode, you got a lot. No, you got nothing. <laughs> no, I don't have. But you're enjoying the show. Yes. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Well, and I love that. I love that there's some representation of a family that has a kid that's going to, that is transitioning or has transitioned. And yeah, I love mm -hmm. that they're giving that representation and it, it's not perfect and it's not smooth. They're just loving their kid and trying to do what's right and not always knowing what's right. Parents, if you have a child that's transitioning, I hope you just listen to that. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> How did I say it? They're, they're just loving their kid and they're trying to get it right, even though they're not always getting it right. And there we have it. Okay. I just want to thank our listeners. Yeah. Y'all hang in with us and you give us amazing feedback, which I love. The emails, like, I just, I love it because mm -hmm. you do. I mean, this is like a huge space of vulnerability because you don't, you know, like we do the best that we, we can on any given moment. Some days we're really good at our podcast. Other days I'm like, why does anyone listen to us? Why? Why? I always love your podcast. Always. Well, you you kind of have to say that. <laughs> No, I don't. <laughs> I guess you could sit here and be like, actually, your podcast sucks. You're badass. So are you. Do you want to just tell people really quickly what your beef with Abby Wambach is? 
Are we going to save that for another episode? No, that's my deepest, darkest, intimate thoughts. (laughs) 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 Noted. Maybe that'll be a future episode, folks. All right, Alex, you want to tell tell people all the things that they need to do? Yes. Um, Y'all can reach us at howtobequeerpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to ask him D any question, Mm -hmm. um, you can email us there and we would love to have her back. So please send questions. Yeah. Yeah. Get that to her. Um, Find us on Apple podcasts and Spotify. Of course, you've been listening. If you're listening, you know where to find us. (laughs) Don't people do like a little rate thing too. That helps us a lot. I haven't talked about this and I, this is, part of my my um, journey on understanding how to be more social media savvy is give us stars on Anchor. and like a lot of them <laughs> yeah give us all, three, all five we get five stars um on spotify and on, on apple Podcasts. it basically just like i don't know raises the rating and so it's we're more visible which is important because so our just, yeah oh go ahead kim it's just on spotify because i don't know this so i listen on spotify you go in and you can, you can rate, rate it yeah, you can give stars to um to, to the podcast. I oh. I can't because I'm the person that posts on the podcast. I can't give I can, but you can. Yeah. So yeah, just you go into the um the show page and um write a view, give give a rating. Okay. And then one last call out after you guys email us your thoughts and questions after you rate us, please go over to youthscene.org. This organization is just absolutely amazing at bringing healing and voice to all different sorts of people across the queer community. And it's something we desperately need and they cannot do the work that they do without support. Um, from, from communities. So if you, if you've been listening to this podcast, I don't even care if it's two bucks, two bucks, 50 cents, whatever you got, show them some love. Be wonderful. Please donate. Thank you. All right. You want to say bye? Okay. Bye. Okay. Thank, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for listening y'all. Okay. Bye. Bye.